Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Schwartz on Sports podcast, brought to you by the Belly Up Sports Network. I am Noah Schwartz. I am so excited to be here today doing my first ever show for Belly Up. I am just thrilled to be here to do this and have this opportunity. I first want to thank Blaine Napier and everyone else at Belly Up for giving me this opportunity, giving me this chance. I'm so excited. It is just beyond words how thrilled I am to do this. Just want to talk a little bit about myself, a little bit about my style, what I like, what I don't like, and what this show is going to be before we get into today's topic. So, I am a 19-year-old college student. I study sports media in college, and this has really been my passion for pretty much as long as I can remember. Ever since I was seven or eight years old, I've always wanted to work in sports media, and radio, TV, podcasting, sports writing, all of it is really all up my alley, and podcasting is something that I have loved to do for a long time, and I'm just so thankful that I'm getting the chance here at Belly Up to do that and to do the show for you guys. Uh, it just it is just beyond words how excited I am. A little bit about uh, what my style is like. I am really not the hot take guy. It, that's not me. I mean, I have a few few takes that I like to share with people. I mean, I think LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. There are a few others. I'm an analytical person. I do like uh, sports with analytics, but at the same time, I do like common sense. So you know, I'm not I'm not the hot take person. I'm not Stephen A. Smith. I'm not I'm not Skip Bayless. But I do know my sports and. I want to share my knowledge, I want to share my opinions, I want to share my analysis, but it's all going to be realistic, it's going to be straightforward, and everything I say will be backed up by facts and the things that I notice when I'm watching a game and and following these sports as closely as I do. So what is this show going to be like? Well, I'll be doing a lot of stuff on here. First, I'll be doing different segments, talking about my favorite sports, talking about my favorite teams, Uh, so I'll be giving my opinions on all the various topics, whether it be things related to games, free agency, trades, salaries, off the field stuff. It really doesn't matter. As long as it's sports related, I will be talking about it and I will be so thrilled to get the chance to do so. I will also be doing uh, consistent interviews on here. So I'll try to book some guests uh, as quickly as I can when I start doing the show and try to get some really thoughtful and insightful people onto the show and get their opinions on some sports issues as well, because it's hard for me to come up with the the best topics all the time. Sometimes you want to hear from the experts, and uh, I, I really trust people in the sports world that are older and more experienced than me. So I want to always get their insight also. And then a little bit about you know my background and, and where I began to love sports and, and really who, who I favor. Um, I'm a New Yorker. I was born in New York City. I live in the New York City area still to this day. I always have my whole life. And so I am a diehard New York Mets fan. I'll talk more about my Mets fandom a little bit later, but I'm a diehard New York Mets fan. Uh, I'm a big Jets fan, as sad as that may be nowadays with the 0-7 Jets. I'm a Knicks fan. I'm an Islanders fan in hockey. Uh, For collegiate sports, I like the Syracuse Orange, so all New York-based teams, but I have other teams that I do uh, root for on the side. I I, I like LeBron. I'll root for whatever team he plays for. Uh, There are a few others, but for the most part, New York is is where I'm based in, and, and that's the teams that I root for. So you'll you'll get to hear my opinions on not just teams across the country in both college and pro sports, but also the teams that I specifically root for and 
And so as a result, you'll get to hear me uh, really passionate about those specific topics, and I'll get to a Mets topic uh, on Steve Cohen, as I, as I said before. So let's begin with the first ever show here on the Schwartz on Sports podcast. And what I'm going to start with today is the NFL. And I'm a big NFL fan. I love football, both college. I love pro also. I'm a Jets fan, as I said. So what I'm going to do every single episode where we have NFL games is I'll do a topic or a segment that I'm going to call Describe Five. And it just I kind of like the name of that, Describe Five. And what I'm going to do is I will describe the best five games of the weekend in the NFL, talk about them, make my pick, and say why I, I'm making that specific pick. So let's begin with the Raiders and the Browns. It's a 1 p.m. game, CBS on Sunday in the early window. I'm very excited for this game. I really like to watch the Cleveland Browns. They're a really fun young team. Raiders are also an up-and-coming team, so I'm excited to watch this game on Sunday. The Raiders are coming off a tough loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. Obviously, Tom Brady was sensational in that game, and uh, they, they, they lost. I think it was 38-20 was the final of that game. And so the Raiders, 3-3 three and three now. They are kind of falling behind the Chiefs in the, in the AFC West. They really need a big win to uh, sort of keep pace there. And in terms of the Browns, Baker Mayfield, five touchdowns last weekend against the Bengals, that huge win. They really needed it to keep pace with both uh, since with both Pittsburgh and the Ravens. He threw a late touchdown to Donovan Peoples-Jones, and they, they eked out a win there. So both teams need this game, and the reason being, they've got to keep they got to keep their place in the playoff race here because if the Raiders win, they maintain second place in the NFC West. And Denver and the Chargers, who are both two and four, both play each other this weekend also. And so the Raiders at three and three, they can't fall to three and four because one of those other teams is going to win and would obviously tie them in the division. They'd like to keep their second place spot and a win this weekend would ensure that. And then in the case of the Browns, they're they're five and two. And obviously the big game, I'll talk more about it later, is the Steelers and Ravens. Both of those teams are fantastic. Ravens have just one loss. Steelers are undefeated. And to fall to five and three, if you're Cleveland, that would that would really be a big big hit on you because I'm not sure you're gonna be able to catch either of those two other teams in the division. If you lose this weekend, at least if you win this game, you have a shot. You're still right in the mix in the AFC North, and of course they want to win that division if they can't get a wild card spot. So big game for both teams. What I'll start with is by saying this game is all going to be about the running game, and to me it starts with Kareem Hunt for. The Cleveland Browns and, and Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. Both teams want to run the ball. Both teams have very good offensive lines. Uh, Cleveland's this year is vastly improved from what it was last year. Drafting a tackle in the first round, signing another one on the right side. And then Josh Jacobs, he is the centerpiece of that Oakland offense. They they really need their, their running backs to step up in this game, especially for Cleveland, considering the number one piece of the one-two punch in Nick Chubb is out. So Hunt will take over the majority of the carries and obviously control the run game for the Browns. And then the other thing for the Browns is Baker Mayfield. He's got to keep his turnovers down. He does struggle with turnovers. Last week was much better. He threw five touchdowns, just one interception early in the game. And you see with Baker that when the team really can't run the ball and they rely on him to throw, it's tough because he's eventually going to make a bad decision. He's almost just prone to him. Can't really can't really uh, avoid the mistakes when he throws the ball too many times. But at the end of the day... If they can run the ball and limit Baker's opportunities to make huge critical mistakes, they have a chance to win. Now, again, like I said, both teams are very good. Both teams are in the playoff mix. 
I would pick both of them to make the playoffs if the season ended today. But I'll pick Cleveland in this game. I just think that they're the better football team, top to bottom, offense, defense. And I think they have a little bit of a more balanced run-pass game. Whereas the Raiders, they really need Jacobs to uh, to do a lot for them. Because as good as Derek Carr may be, they just don't have the sort of weapons that I think a lot of teams are looking for. A lot of their guys are young. Uh, specifically, Henry Ruggs, the number one receiver. Nelson Aguilar is always a question mark. And uh, so I would pick the Browns in this game. I just think they're a better team. And, and uh, I really like Kevin Stefanski as a young coach. Number two on the Describe 5 today, the another really interesting game in the early window, the Rams at 5-2 and two against the 3-3 three and three Dolphins. This is a 1 p.m. game on Fox in the early window and one that I think many NFL fans will have their eyes on. And that's really for one just one reason. Tua Tagovailoa's debut. It's Tua time in Miami. Ryan Fitzpatrick will sit on the bench tomorrow for the Dolphins. He will not be the starter. And everyone, and I mean really everyone who follows the NFL closely, is going to want to see how Tua Tagovailoa looks in his first game. Obviously a prolific college career at Alabama, fifth overall pick in the draft last year. It'll be his first start. I was surprised when it happened. I think a lot of people thought that Ryan Fitzpatrick would continue starting for the Dolphins. It didn't work out that way. Tua is going to get the nod for this week coming off a bye. And I think a lot of people want to know how he looks. He's a little small. He's had injury problems. Can he hold up? Can he make the throws necessary to win football games in this league? Tua was my number one ranked quarterback in the draft last year. I absolutely loved him in college. I loved him coming into the draft. But there are question marks. A lot of people have sort of thought that he won't last in this league, and, and I don't think so, but I think a lot of people do have question marks about him, especially when you consider the other two quarterbacks that have played from the first round of the draft this year in uh, Joe, Joe Burrow and, and uh, Justin Herbert. Both of those guys have excelled early in their starts, and so I think they want to see how Tua compares to those two guys who look like future superstars. A big thing for Tua is, can he rely on his run game in this game? Because this is not a very good rushing attack for the Dolphins. They're 22nd in yards per game this year. They don't really have a bell cow back, somebody who's going to be a three-down rusher out there. They have a few guys who have played at times, whether it be Breida or Jordan Howard's played a little bit. Uh, Gaskin's been their, their number one guy, but he's not a star. He's just a young player. So not really sure if they can rely on their run game, and it may lead, lead to Tua having to throw the ball a lot early in his first start, not something you want to do against the Rams' defense. The other thing is, can these Miami receivers separate to score enough points against a dominant uh, Rams offense, but Preston Williams is a young player. Devontae Parker is an emerging star. Mike Gesicki at tight end. Can those guys make enough plays against that loaded Rams secondary in order to get open, give Tua uh, people to throw it to? Obviously, the, the offensive line needs to step up also, but I think that's a big key in this game. And then in terms of the Rams, I mentioned they have a great offense. They've got three fantastic running backs. All of them play. We'll see if all of them are available tomorrow. Uh, there's been some question marks about Cam Akers. And uh, Henderson also, I believe, is, is banged up. But he's been very good. Malcolm Brown's been very good. They've got a great rushing attack. They love to use that rushing attack to allow Jared Goff to run play action. They have a, a number of receivers. Tyler Higby at tight end is also very good. So uh, I, I really like the Rams. I think they're the best team in the NFC West. I'll pick them in this game. But as a result of just Tua playing and, and what this game is going to look like in Miami tomorrow, I want to watch it. I know I'll have my eyes glued to it in the early window. And although I'll pick the Rams, I don't think it'll be necessarily close. I just want to see how Tua looks. And will he be will he be a future superstar in this league is a question that I think a lot of people want to have answered in these next few weeks before the season uh, wraps up and we go ahead to the playoffs. 
Third game of the week that I am watching, and this is the best game of the weekend, in my opinion. The 6-0 Pittsburgh Steelers and the 5-1 Baltimore Ravens. I talked about it a little bit before, and this is going to be a 1 p.m. game on CBS. I'm just super excited. This, this is a, re a real rivalry game. These teams do not like each other. It's always physical in the AFC North. These are the two best teams, maybe, in the AFC. Kansas City also has an argument there, but... These are elite teams, both offense and defense. Both offenses and both defenses are very, very good. Both teams will be forces going forward as we head into the postseason. And I just want to see how these teams match up against each other in their first of two matchups this season. The Steelers have an elite rush defense. Many people know it might be the single best unit in the NFL, the Steelers front seven. I mean, J.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, there are, just, there are stars all over the place in the Front seven of this Pittsburgh defense. They're second in rushing yards allowed per game in the NFL. Just about 69 rushing yards allowed per game, which is just a fantastic number. And that counteracts what the Ravens do really well because they're arguably the NFL's best rushing team. Now, I don't think Mark Ingram will play in this game. He He's banged up. I don't think he'll play. But this team typically has is a four-headed running back, or sorry, should I say rushing monster. And it starts with Lamar Jackson, the reigning MVP, the best running quarterback in NFL history. And then he's got a trio of running backs that he's relied on all season. The early pick in J.K. Dobbins, uh, second round out of Ohio State. As I said, Ingram. And then Gus Edwards, who's a nice change of pace third down back. All those guys have played key roles in the offense this year. And they're number one in rushing yards per game in the NFL as a team with just over 164 rushing yards a game. The thing that really scares me if I'm Baltimore, though, is their wide receivers. They do not have a very good wide receiver group. Now we'll see if they upgrade it before Tuesday's trade deadline. That's a, a big thing that they're gonna that they may try and do. They did sign Des Bryant last week. He may get activated at some point, but I do think they're probably a receiver short if they really want to win the Super Bowl. The number one guy, Hollywood Brown, is still young. The number two guy in Denver Duvernay is also really early in his career, as just a rookie. So it's a question mark. Because this Pittsburgh secondary, as good as their front seven is, their, their secondary is also fantastic. And there, there are question marks. Can these Baltimore receivers separate, get open down the field for Lamar Jackson? I don't necessarily know if they can. And, and that, that's a big thing in this game, big key uh, for, for Baltimore. Minka Fitzpatrick's back there for the Pittsburgh defense. He's the number one corner there. And they, they have a really loaded uh, secondary. Can the Baltimore receivers get open and, and help Lamar out? I, I, I can't say that's going to happen. The big, the big thing for, for the Steelers, though, is are they due for a loss? I mean, they're 6-0. They're the only undefeated team in the NFL. And they nearly lost last week to a really good Tennessee Titans team. A team that is probably uh, maybe, the most, maybe, maybe the most underrated team in the NFL. They were 5-0 going into last week. Sort of under the radar. I know uh, people don't really talk about them when they talk about the elite teams. But they did go to the, NFC, the AFC Championship game last year. They're very good. Ryan Tannehill... Doesn't get talked about enough, but he he's probably in the MVP race. Derrick Henry is also. And that's a very good football team. One of the best in the AFC. Maybe the least talked about great team in the AFC. And so the Steelers might be due for a loss. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger had three interceptions last week. He's 38 years old. He's aging. And although he's played well early in the season, I just don't know how if he can play at a high level all year. He, he's coming off a major injury from last season, obviously, with the with the surgery he had. And so I just sort of think the Steelers are due for a loss. They've had they played a lot of close games. They've won them all. They do have an elite defense. They do have an elite uh, receiver core with Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool. But at the end of the day, I just think that Baltimore, despite their flaws and, and their receivers are probably the biggest flaw that they have, 
I just think they're a little more talented top to bottom. They have the better quarterback. They're the more explosive offense. They've got an elite defense, especially in their secondary. They just signed uh, Marlon Humphrey to a big extension, and he's very good. Marcus Peters is also. So I'm just going to pick the Ravens here. I think it'll be a close game. These games between this these two teams typically are close. They're typically very physical. And I just have a gut feeling that the Ravens are going to win it. And uh, it puts the Ravens in great position to get possibly the number one seed in the AFC. Obviously, they're fighting with Kansas City. They're fighting with uh, they're fighting with the Steelers. They're going to fight with Tennessee going down the stretch. But they're in a good spot. And I think that they're going to be one of the elite Super Bowl contenders as we go down the stretch here uh, over the course of this season. The fourth game I want to talk about is the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. A 425 game on Fox. Always fun when these two teams go at it. They've played as division rivals. They play twice a year. They've played each other in the playoffs before. This is always a fun matchup. And this game, when you start talking about it, you have to start with Russell with Russell Wilson. He is playing like the best quarterback on earth right now, even at a higher level than a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers are playing, and, and they've played sensational this season. But Russ is the early MVP favorite. He's thrown 22 picks or 22 touchdowns, excuse me, this year. Just six picks, 71% completion. He is arguably the best football player in America and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion. He is just so special. And that's that's really where this, this game you got to start with. He has been so good, and they lost last week in a Sunday night game against Arizona. He threw three interceptions, which was a shocker. He never does that, and including one in overtime. And as a guy who is just so known to be so clutch, I mean, so many game-winning drives over the course of his career, usually has a bad offensive line, this year has a terrible defense, not always a consistent running game, he has had to carry so much of the load for this team, and he is he, his broad shoulders are worthy of it all, and he can handle it, but it's tough, and it's tough to pick them week after week, and I have picked them in almost every game they've played this year because I trust Russell so much, but it's just tough when he has to do so much right for them to win these football games, and typically they're close games, typically they're kind of wild games. Some people say that the Seahawks are incapable of winning a normal football game, and, and I, that's sort of a funny cliche, but... I always laugh when I hear it because it, it's true. And they always win really wild, crazy games down the stretch. But last week they didn't, and I think they're due for a win again. Uh, the 49ers are banged up. Uh, we, we don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be. Are we going to see the good Jimmy like we saw last week, or two, excuse me, two weeks ago in their win? Or are they gonna is he going to be the bad Jimmy like we saw in the Miami game from about a month ago or the game from New England last week where they did win, but he did not play well, had two interceptions. The Jimmy Garoppolo factor is huge here. Is he going to be the good Jimmy or the bad Jimmy? We, we know what Russell Wilson is probably going to give us, but on the other side, what, what is Jimmy Garoppolo? On the Seahawks side, I mentioned the running game. Carlos Hyde is doubtful. Travis Homer might not play. Chris Carson might not play. So it's going to be all on Russ, as it typically is, but especially this week. And the Let Russ Cook fans are going to be yelling that out again this weekend because it's going to be all on Wilson to do a lot. I'll pick the Seattle Seahawks. I think they're the best team in this matchup, but at the end of the day, uh, it's a tough it's tough sledding for that for that team because they just don't have enough outside of Wilson, and I do think the Rams are more well-rounded than them in a tough division, arguably the toughest division in the NFL. I'll pick Seattle, though. Final game I want to talk about, Cowboys and the Eagles. The 2-5 Dallas Cowboys, probably the NFL's biggest disaster so far against the Eagles, who are one of the NFL's biggest disasters in the NFC least, the worst division, maybe in modern NFL history. This is a Sunday night game, 820 on NBC. And I just want to see what's going to happen in this game with a debut quarterback 
Sixth rounder, Ben DiNucci, out of James Madison for the Dallas Cowboys. The third starting quarterback they've had in the last month. Obviously, Dak Prescott with the major ankle injury, out for the season. I hope he's doing well. And then Andy Dalton was just ruled out because of the hard hit he took to the head last week from John Bostic of the Washington football team. And he is out with a concussion. Danucci, the sixth rounder, is going to make his first start. And that's why this game is so wild. This is a total unknown. We have no idea what we're going to see from this kid. It's his first NFL start. He threw three passes last week. I think he had 39 yards on, on those two completions. But has really done accomplished nothing in his NFL career. We're going to find out what he's made of tomorrow night. And I think it really makes Zeke Elliott in this game even more important than he than he is almost every week for the Cowboys. He has to carry the offense because with a rookie quarterback, his first start, you don't know what you're going to get out of your passing attack. And if Ezekiel Elliott can turn into prime Zeke, he can eat, so to speak, it's going to help them a lot and keep them competitive in this game. And Philly is vulnerable on the run side, 24th in rushing yards allowed per game as a defense. Not a great rush defense. They're better uh, rushing the quarterback. So I think they'll try and rely on the run game. I expect Kellen Moore to develop a conservative attack this week to try and score some points here. Probably keep this game low scoring as much as they can and try and uh, win a close game in Philadelphia at the end. Because on the other side, Philadelphia is banged up. And they won a close game, a Thursday night game against Dallas in their last performance. But this is not a great team. They are extremely... Banged up on the offensive line. They don't have many receivers available. Their running game is so-so. Boston Scott is the backup. He's going to start this week for Miles Sanders again. Dallas Goddard's back, but Zach Ertz is out. They've had Nelson Aguilar out. Uh, Jashawn Jackson's out again. So a, a major major injury concerns for the Philadelphia side, just as much as Dallas. And I just think that since Carson Wentz is such an elite player and a guy who we've seen carry offenses before, he did it at the end of last year. He's done it in games so far this season. I just think that's why the, the Eagles are, are positioned to win this game. They, they're probably the more talented team top to bottom at this point without Dak and without Dalton able to play at quarterback. But still, it's not it's not a major gap. I, I do think that they are better at quarterback and they're slightly the better defense. The Dallas defense has been just abysmal this season. I mean, giving up 40 points to Atlanta and then what they did against on Monday night against the Cardinals a few weeks ago. They have given up a ton of points, a ton of yards this year. It is an abysmal defense, and we've already heard the, the firing rumors about Mike Nolan and Mike McCarthy, the head coach and defensive coordinator. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with Dallas down the stretch of the season, but we do know they're going to struggle to score the ball this weekend. I'll pick the Eagles to win, and I think they're in the driver's seat in the NFC least, the worst division, as I said, maybe in the history of the NFL. So that's my Describe 5 for the week. I'm picking five games. First, I'm picking the Cleveland Browns to beat the Raiders. I'm big, I'm picking the LA Rams to beat the Dolphins. I'll pick the Ravens in a very close game against the undefeated Steelers. That, that is the best game of the weekend. The Seahawks, the Seahawks to uh, eke out a win over the 49ers. And then the 2-4, 2-4-1 one Eagles to beat the 2-5 Cowboys in what is a big divisional matchup in the NFC East. That's my Describe 5 for the week. Back up next, we will talk about the NBA season and when it should begin. I'll talk about that. And then after that, Steve Cohen. I'm a big Mets fan, as I said in the beginning of the show, and he is the new owner of the Mets, bought the team just yesterday. want to talk about that. So we'll be back on the Schwartz on Sports podcast in a second. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Schwartz on Sports podcast. Second segment of the show today. 
We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA and when this season should start because there's a lot of controversy, a lot of discussion on what next season in the league is going to look like. And I think a lot of the conversation started the other day with Danny Green, the LA Lakers shooting guard, who was on a Ringer podcast and they were asking him and saying, you know, when do you guys want to start? What What's the player's opinion on this? And he basically said, you know, we don't want to start in December when the rumors are that we may begin. We want to start in January. We want to wait it out a little bit because we're, we're tired. We were in a bubble for a long time. The Lakers were in the bubble longer than almost anyone besides Miami. And so we want to start in January, give ourselves some time to rest. And if we do start in December, I don't think our stars will play. He said LeBron might not play the first month of the season. He might just load manage it for a couple of weeks to give himself some extra time to heal up. And so I was shocked when I heard that, and I understand why he said it, but I want to talk a little bit about what the different options are that are on the table, what I would do if I was a player and I was involved in making this decision, and why the NBA wants to start in January or start in December rather than January. So I think it's important to remember that the N- the NBA this year struggled with ratings. And when they came back into the bubble following the four-month layoff, they had to compete against football for for a good portion of that time that these teams were in the bubble. The ratings, television-wise, were not what they expected. That's because every time they matched up with football, they got crushed. And there were plenty of finals games. I think there were two of the six finals games happened on a Sunday night. That competes directly with NBC Sunday Night Football. Those games did not rate well. There were games on Thursdays. Those games did not rate well. Games on Mondays. Those games didn't do well. There was also baseball hockey going on also, but I think the NFL was a a big challenge for the NBA to compete directly with, and that's something that they need to avoid next season. If they can avoid that, it's a big help television-wise, and obviously you need to start in in December rather than late January in order to avoid football. Another thing is you've got to remember there's an Olympics going on in a year from now. It was supposed to be in 2020, got pushed back to 2022, the summer, uh, 2021, excuse me, the Summer Olympics. And the NBA wants to have its players there to represent their countries, whether it be the America or any other country that, that players come from, because they want to be represented, give those guys exposure. Of course, the Olympics are always fun when the superstars are playing in it. You know, you want to see LeBron and you want to see Kevin Durant and you want to see Kawhi. You want to see those guys play for America. You want to see Luka Doncic play for Slovenia. You want to see Kristaps Porzingis play for Latvia. You want to see Giannis play for, for Greece. You want to see the play, the uh, the great NBA players that are from Spain play there. The French guys play for France. We want to see those countries compete at full strength in the Olympics. If the NBA can finish prior to the Olympics in Ju- when it starts in July, that would also be a big boost for them uh, television-wise and, and money-wise. They're not going to take a break in the middle of their season for the Olympics, but they want to finish prior to that happening. Uh, the other thing you got to remember is a loss of revenue. Owners this year struggled financially. A lot of teams lost money. The league lost a ton of money. We, we, see, we saw some of those stats recently. The league thinks that if it begins, you know, it doesn't actually, it does, really doesn't matter when it begins, but next season, if they don't have fans in these arenas, they're going to lose maybe a billion dollars in in revenue, and and, that, and that's a huge loss, obviously, for the league if if they can't if they can't go through next season without fans in the arena. Of course, there's a virus going on. Of course, we've got to get a vaccine coming, and if it comes out, we'll see how long it takes to, to distribute that thing widely across the, the country. But you can't have fans in those arenas, or at least have many fans, if people are not safe and and fully healthy. Remember, football is only having 25 percent in some stadiums, and those are outside typically. These NBA arenas are fully inside. You're in a cramped area, indoors. 
the virus is going to spread. That's a big problem for the NBA. They don't want it. They had a, a, a big accomplishment having zero cases in their three-month bubble. But you can't go into having having normal arenas next year in, in typical NBA cities and allowing fans and players, coaches, whoever, to get sick. It's just you can't do it. It, it can't be feasible. It, it can't happen. So they need to realize that starting now is going to help them out and avoid football, help them out with to to finish prior to the Olympics. There are different reasons for why the NBA wants to start. Now, the players want to start in January. They want to start Martin Luther King Day rather than Christmas time. And that's because they want to get more rest. They want to have extra time off. And, and, and that makes plenty of sense. But if I am an NBA player, and of course Danny Green was just giving his honest opinion on the ringer, but if I were an NBA player, I would have to look at my financial situation and look at the future of the league and say, you know what? I might have to bite the bullet this season. I might have to start earlier than what I am, what I am really comfortable with, and I and I may have to just sacrifice and 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 play in December whenever they tell me to, because this league financially is not in great shape right now. Obviously, that's that's a thing across sports. Teams are losing money. Owners are, are really struggling financially in terms of being able to pay their employees, pay their players. The salary cap is dropping. There are a lot of problems there. So if I'm an NBA player, you've just got to realize that. These problems aren't going away, and I think the best way to mitigate them and allow the NBA to get back to normalcy as soon as possible is just to play next season. And it, it, it's a hard decision to make. I get it. I understand why guys want rest. I understand why people want to load manage. I, I understand all of that. And and Danny Green was made perfect sense when he was talking on The Ringer. I, I listened to that entire podcast. I enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, you've got to remember that there is more to basketball than just the individual players that want what they want. There are owners, there are coaches, there are executives. There are a lot of people involved in this league, fans too. And everybody needs to be healthy. Everybody needs to be safe. And everybody needs to be able to go to these games if they're going to allow fans without risking their lives. Obviously, this virus can do that. And you just can't risk people's people's livelihoods and, and risk their lives to go to these games if it's not safe. And if it's better to start earlier, if it's better to, to get better TV ratings, if it's better to avoid the Olympics and finish prior to the Olympics, if it's better uh, for the salary cap to possibly go up in the near future rather than continue to drop down like it's going to, that is a boost for the NBA. And and I understand why it's so difficult. I get it. I've just, I said it and I'm going to say it again. I get why players want to sit. And so if I were an NBA player this year, I would just have to bite the bullet. And I, I would... I would with the Players Association, say to the league, you know what? We'll compromise with you the guys this time. We'll start when you want to start. We'll start around Christmas. We'll play at the end of December. We'll play through January. And we'll try and finish as soon as we can prior to the start of the Olympics and the start of the NFL season because it's the best for this league's future in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 some odd years. There's a lot to this. There's a lot going on here. The NBA players, I understand they were in a bubble. They had to sacrifice. They were without their families. They were isolated. They were in Disney World. For some of these teams, for these 22 teams, some were there for a shorter time, but some were there for a very long time. And if you look at the teams that played in the conference finals, that played in the NBA finals, these coaches, the referees that were there, they were in this Orlando bubble for a very long time. They were media members there for 90, 95, 100 days. That's a long time to be away from your family. And if... The league's livelihood, and, and it's to the league's benefit to start earlier, and it just helps them out even a little bit during this really unfortunate and difficult situation. I just think the players have to go for it, 
and 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 give their best to what the league is asking for in this tough, difficult situation. On to our last topic of the day, Steve Cohen. And I am a big Mets fan. I said it in the beginning of the show. You will find out all about the favorite teams that I root for, and I'll talk about them more as I do more episodes. But I want to talk about the Mets because it was a huge day to be a Mets fan yesterday. Arguably the biggest day in the history of the New York Mets in the last 20 years. Now, they did make the World Series in 2015. That was a huge accomplishment. But this may be the single most important day to Mets fans in the last 20 years in terms of their baseball team. And I'll explain why. The Mets have been an embarrassment. Really, really, for the last 20, maybe 15, 20 years, they have not been a very good team. Both on the field, on off the field, they've had a lot of PR issues. They, they haven't spent proper money. And this is going to be a way for them, under this new ownership, the Wilpons have sold to Steve Cohen, and it's going to be a way for the Mets to be a consistent winner going forward. So there are a lot of different aspects of this that make Mets fans so giddy, so excited like I am today. And, and I hope you can hear the passion in my voice because I am so incredibly thrilled. I woke up this morning and I said, oh my God, Steve Cohen owns my baseball team. It, it feels surreal that this team is finally sold and the sale is official and the whole process, which took forever, it seemed like, is finally done. But I hope you hear the passion in my voice because it, it really means a lot to me to have a new owner to own my favorite baseball team. There are a lot of aspects of why I'm so happy, but let me start with this one, the money factor. And that's why I think a lot of casual Mets fans today are so thrilled. The Mets for so long in the world's biggest sports market, and that's New York City, the world's biggest sports market, the owners, the Wilpon family, Jeff and Fred specifically, haven't acted like they own a team in the world's biggest baseball market. They treated our organization, the organization, like a small market franchise like they were the Cleveland Indians, like they were the Tampa Bay Rays, like they were the Colorado Rockies. But you played in New York. And there were other teams, specifically the Yankees across town. You could talk about the Dodgers, you know, on the West Coast. You could talk about some of the division rivals that the Mets have, whether it be the Phillies, they spend, the Nationals in D.C., they spend. There are a lot of teams out there that, that spend big market money. And the Mets, although they played in a bigger bigger market than all those other teams outside of, outside of the Yankees, did not spend like it. They, they, they were treated like a small market franchise that happened to just play in a big market area. And so with Steve Cohen, who is worth four, over $14 billion, let me repeat that, $14 billion, he's made of money, he is going to come in here and spend like crazy. And that is really the expectation among Mets fans. We've always, and, and Mets fans have done this for, for years now, We've talked about free agency, we've talked about acquiring talent, and the Mets have always, they've never gone extra mile for their fans to acquire extra talent. They've always, they've always spent on the lesser players. They've always had stars that they could have tried to acquire, but instead they acquired the number two player at that position in free agency. We've always dreamed of being able to spend on the Bryce Harper free agents and the Manny Machados and the Garrett Coles and, and guys like that, and it just never happened. And now for the first time, Mets fans can wake up and dream of superstars coming and flocking to this city to play in the orange and blue. It is truly a surreal feeling that we feel that. Another thing that, that, that really makes Mets fans happy is... We're trying to build a consistent winner. And and one of the things that, that was a big struggle for the Wilpons was not only just winning games, but over the course of multiple seasons, 
having success. And and you could talk about some outlier seasons like 20, 2006 when they almost won 100 games, nearly won the World Series, advanced to the Championship Series. 2015, advanced to the World Series. There, there were a few outlier seasons. But every single time those things happened, you would think that, oh, the Mets have reached the mountaintop, right? They've climbed the mountain. And they're at the top now. Let's see how long they can stay on top of that mountain. Well, just as, got, just as fast as they got up there, they would fall off. And you can talk about it in 2006. It's a great example. They win 98 games in 2006, nearly advanced to the World Series. And the expectation is the Mets are going to be a top team in the NL for a long time. But the next season, they collapsed in September, didn't make the playoffs. 2008, terrible. Or, uh, sorry, collapsed in 2008. 2009, terrible. 2010, all the way up to 2014, dreadful baseball team. Then 2015 comes, and they finally break, break, the, playoff, break the playoff drought. Nine years. World Series appearance. You expect a team with a great young rotation, some really excellent young building blocks. They would be able to be a contender going forward. 2016, the year after they make the wild card game, and they haven't made the playoffs since. This is what happens with the Mets. 2019, even. They were 10 games over 500, nearly made the playoffs. They were a threat the entire second half of the year, one of the best teams in baseball through the last three months. And you thought, oh, 2020, this will be a great season for them. They can really be a threat. And then they were tied for last place in the 60-game season we just had. So it just happens every time. Inconsistency with the Wolpons. Steve Cohen is coming here with the intention of making this team a consistent winner, a team that wins year after year after year with high expectations, high payrolls, and star talent all over the field. That's what he's going to be able to help this team do with his $14 billion that he can spend. Another big part of this is no more PR messes. The Mets have been a true PR nightmare from public relations standpoint for the last 10 years. And they have, they have had so many issues off the field. There's almost too many to name. I mean, you can start with just recently when Bertie Van Wagenen was heard talking bad about the commissioner, Rob Manfred, in an interview that was secretly taped. That was a big PR issue. You can talk, I mean, there are so many. You can talk about the Bernie Madoff situation. People still make fun of the Mets for that. Obviously, lost a ton of money with that Ponzi scheme from 12 years ago. There are so many PR nightmares that the Mets had. And you talk about other winning franchises. They don't have issues like this. Typically, those teams, every single season, they go. everything goes smoothly. They win games. They make the playoffs. I mean, talk about the St. Louis Cardinals. That's the, that's the Cardinals. Consistent winners. No issues. No off-the-field drama. The Mets could never could never be in that group because they, they always had off-the-field drama and it was always a disaster and people make fun of the Mets for it all the time. The Ioannis Cespedes situation is another great example of it this year. Ioannis opted out and the Mets made a big deal out of it, kind of talked bad about him publicly, and other teams just wouldn't do that to their players. So I think Cohen's going to come in with a new attitude in terms of PR and avoid those messes like we've had in the past. Another part of this... He can spend on analytics. He can spend on international scouting. He can spend on having a great farm system. He can spend on, on domestic scouting in America. There are a lot of things organizationally that he's going to be able to do that gives us a better structure and allows us to build the foundation of this organization. And then we can build up from there and build a winner. You don't just win with the talent that you have in your major league roster. You've got to do it with the guys that you draft every year, the guys you sign internationally, the way that you use the, the the analytical numbers to help you. There are a lot of things that Cohen is going to be able to do and spend on that the, the Wilpons just were never able to afford. And, and I think this is really important too. For the last 20 years, the Mets have just said, please Wilpon, sell the team. Please Wilpon, sell the team. This is what they've, they've really dreamt of. Now, after 
all this time, and the Wilpons have been with the Mets for about 40 years now. After 40 years, they are finally out of the organization. And it almost seems like, and, and I'm, I'm a true Mets fan, so I can say this. It almost feels like there was a an angel from above. And I swear to God, an angel from above who came down with the intention to save the Mets franchise and save our fans. It has never happened before, but it is happening now. And that is why, as a Mets fan, I am so grateful that Steve Cohen and his $14 billion are coming to buy my New York Mets. Again, I'm just so grateful for the chance to have this guy as the owner, and it excites me like pretty much nothing else has in sports in a very long time. 2020 has been a rough year, but Steve Cohen really uh, helped me out in late October, giving us an opportunity to win baseball games going forward. Now we'll do my last segment of the week, the last couple minutes here of the show, first episode of Schwartz on Sports. I'm going to call this segment my Noah's number one performer of the week. It's basically just winner of the week, who, who did really well in the field. And for this week, I'm going to do this every show, but for this week, I'm going to say it's the Dodgers. The LA Dodgers, World Series champions, they won, they won the World Series on Tuesday, beat the Tampa Bay Rays in six games, a competitive series. Game four was a classic, that one went to the Rays, but the Dodgers were resilient after game four, won game five, won game six. Obviously, there was the big managerial mistake by Kevin Cash to pull Blake Snell in game six. Dodgers took advantage of it, scored a couple of runs that inning, tacked on an additional run late in the game on a Mookie Betts home run, won the game, Corey Seager uh, World Series MVP, and for the first time in 32 years, the Dodgers are world champions. Congratulations to that phenomenal organization. And as a Mets fan, I have to say this too. A goal of mine is to become the East Coast Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers are so are so well-managed. Dave Roberts is excellent. They have a phenomenal farm system. They use the, They use their talent so well. They find random players from across the league that become major contributors for them every single season. They've got a good farm system. They use analytics. I mean, just from top to bottom, a class organization, and they make the playoffs every year. And that's exactly what I want the Mets to be. So congratulations to the Dodgers, a team I look up to, a team I, I've always had a lot of respect for. First championship in 32 years, uh, really well-deserved. They were the best team from start to finish this year. Thanks so much for listening to the first ever episode of the Schwartz on Sports podcast. Brought to you by the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Thank you so much to everyone at Belly Up for giving me this opportunity. It really means a ton. I cannot stress that enough. Can't wait to be doing more episodes. I'll be releasing them weekly. You can see them on Belly Up Sports on the website. And uh, so thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to do more of these episodes. And uh, I'll see everyone soon.